Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. It's time for us to get plugged into the world of weird. And uh, the world of weirdthings.com is where you can find Greg Fish. Hey, Fish, what's happening, man? How's it going? Good. I'm glad you're here. Um, this uh, little article that you sent was very timely. I think it was maybe synchronicity. Maybe it was a little bit of luck. Either way, I like it uh, to a conversation how we started the program uh, with uh, the previous host. And he was asking that about the digital detox. Have you ever done a digital detox, Greg Fish? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have went on vacations where I just stayed off of social media. Um, I'd only respond to, you know, important things on the important things on tax, but they were related to what we were going to, what we were going to do and just try and stay away from computers as much as possible. So how do you, how would you do that? Would you just delete? Cause I, I would be tempted. I'd be like, Oh, just Twitter one more time. But so would you just delete the Twitter app then go? So then you can only check your text messages. How does that work? Nope. Just stay off the app. Self-discipline, cold turkey just, like that. Just Greg willpower. Fish. Just willpower. Greg, Greg Fish, come on, man, that's amazing. You gotta have that willpower. Wow, I'm impressed, and you're a geek too. You like your geeky things. I do, but it doesn't mean that I don't want to take a break from them. And in fact, just because I program a lot of these things, I know, <clears throat> you know, I get I get a little tired of it sometimes too. Just you know, I've had enough. I, I need to just not deal with it for a while all right fair enough okay well social media is the conversation it's not about necessarily the uh you know the apps themselves but the behavior in around that's created um, there are so many great things that come from the apps you get to reconnect with old people from so long ago there have been amazing uh, things happen politically because of apps right in different countries there have been plights of people who are um, being oppressed leaking out into the world because of apps in the internet but social media for the most part for the mass populace here in the western world anyway uh the developed world maybe we should say uh it doesn't seem to be going very well in general does it no not really because people who are older and meaner and or just um have decided that there's enough of a critical mass of them that they can do whatever they want have figured out how to use and abuse social media so what has really happened is that the platforms, uh, the, the companies that run the platforms have essentially lost control of their creations. That's really mm. the, the best way to sum it up. Mm. Sounds like Terminator. Yeah, to an extent, only instead of killer machines, it's us who are kind of the problem and, and us who are going wild. And here's the thing. When it comes to social media, yes, there's a lot of political debates between people who have opposing worldviews. This is not this is not what this article is supposed to be about. This is not what the problem is supposed to be about. You know, having people disagreeing about things is healthy. People debating things is healthy when everyone is kind of like in this monoculture and groupthink, and uh, there's only one way that you're allowed to feel or or only one thing you're allowed to believe. That's that's a that's a horrible problem. So that that's not at all what I'm concerned about. What I'm concerned about is the fact that 
in losing control over the conversations on social media and losing control of the dynamics of social media and who's using it and how, we are essentially seeing terrorist groups coordinate. We are seeing um, countries enable and help organize and fan genocide in, in other countries. Like uh, there is very dangerous medical misinformation being propagated at ridiculous speed. And you also have um, rumors that are getting people killed or creating armed conflicts. So this is this is not just from a standpoint of, well, social media is bad for you. You should get off and do a digital detox once in a while. This is from a standpoint of social media's inaction and inability to control their platform is literally getting people killed now. Well, you said losing control, though, Greg Fish. So what does losing control look like? I mean, it's not like this is a car careening down the road on fire, is it? Yeah, in a way it is, because it, let's let's think about it this way. A lot of times when you go to Facebook, and I'm going to pick on Facebook because they are by far the worst offender they in, should in be all of this. On, let's be honest. Yeah, and they should be picked on, and that's what I'm going to do. So if you go to Facebook and you ask them, well, what about all this extremist context? What about you know domestic terrorists as identified by the FBI or by the RCMP or by you know whatever intelligence service keeps track of them? Why are they spreading rumors and why are they spreading hoaxes and conspiracy theories and why are they trying to plan rallies and telling people to be armed? And Facebook will say, well, that's just a very small percentage of our posts. And what they won't tell you is that the engagement with those posts is disproportionately higher than the vast majority of other stuff. You know, there's definitely people who, you know, post their kids pictures as, you know, try and keep in touch with family. You post something absolutely mind numbing that that usually gets either ignored or there is a small circle of people that, you know, puts in their likes and reactions and uh, and comments. And, and that just kind of go goes away and boils over. But a lot of conspiracy theories and conspiracy theories pages and events being planned for, you know, to, to show up armed with guns and political protests, that gets a much broader reach. And when you say, well, what are you actually going to do about this? Facebook will say, well, you know, it's just a small percentage of our posts, but I don't know what you want us to do. And only after somebody gets killed, only after there's a huge outcry, only after yeah. law enforcement starts posting things like what are what is even happening? What are they even doing? And then they decide, okay, well, maybe we'll shut down some of these pages. Yeah, it's and too then late. they immediately spring back up, and that's it. We, we repeat the cycle. Yeah. Okay, so it is like a dumpster fire rolling down the road. Um, that's, a, that's a good way to describe it, too. Okay, so when we talk about all of these things going on, um, you know, the one of the things that sticks to me as the most obvious was when those fires were burning in the rainforests in South America. Uh, no, that's not true. I think it was the fires in Australia. And the pictures that were circulating on social media were from a fire from years and years and years ago. It wasn't even the same fire. Like the people were sharing everything on their social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everything else. And it wasn't even the same fire. Is that an example of the kinds of things that like the, the gossip and the rumors that you're talking about? 
It it really is. And and one thing is one thing one important thing to keep in mind is that yes, the companies that run social media platforms are just letting them get out of hand. But people who are using these platforms are also just seem to not really care about what they share or what they post. It's almost like they don't take any responsibility for their actions. Um, so they will share pictures of fires that have nothing to do with the fires that everyone is talking about. And actually, funny enough, that now that you mentioned the Australian fires, consider that in Australia, um, people were sharing rumors that, oh, there were hundreds of arsonists arrested. It was a conspiracy theory to set all these wildfires. This was debunked many times because the vast majority of people who they said were arrested were not arrested. They were cited for violating fire code, uh, usually by just violating basic fire safety or cooking outside with fire when the government said you should really not do that because the risk of fire is too extreme. There were only maybe a handful of people who actually set wildfires. And you had the exact same rumors having been debunked for six months straight. Mm -hmm. Repeated ad nauseum for the fires that were in California, Oregon, and Washington. And you had people, you had people plotting like the US, US data sets showing where all the fires are and saying, well, how come the fires are stopping at the borders? Obviously, they're being, they're, they're arson. And then if you look at, you know, the, the Canadian data set, you see, well, there's fires in British Columbia, there's fires in Alberta. Like, they don't stop at the borders. Right. This is just, this is just insanity. Well, that was and one not only was... is this insanity, it's debunked insanity. It has well, been debunked was, already. There was, a, yeah, there was one picture about America and how bad America was because the snapshot was of America for like a satellite type photo where all the fires were in America. Like, they just didn't include the fires everywhere else. They're like, look at the fires in America. Like, uh, like not thinking that, you know, they're, they can just roll across the border if they want to. But in this particular example, it was just very clearly labeled fires in America. They didn't do fires in North America. So it seems to me to be, um, you know, this seems to, this is where I always get in the conversation about schools and what's getting missed in schools today, sort of a cause and effect scenario. But there's one thing that I always talk about. And um, uh, it, this is in my words teaching. So this is something that I go, it's much larger conversation than just this. But um, there, are, there are four pieces to the puzzle here. Um, there are uh, the truth. There are facts. There is accuracy. And then there's one little piece that holds it all together. See, the truth is, you and I, Greg, we can talk about, um, we can talk about the sky, what color is the sky. And for me, it could be blue. For you, it could be gray. But we're both telling the truth, right? But yeah, we're that's... just in different places. And yeah. then there's accuracy. There's accuracy. We're both being accurate, but yet we both can't be wrong. And then there's facts. Facts are things like, you know, the world was flat, then it was round, then it's flat again, if you ask some people. Facts are agreements. Facts are those things that change through the course of time um, when um, because they're just an agreement. We all agree that this is widely uh, called a radio show, and so that's what it's called. It's an agreement. But the other piece of this is opinion. An opinion gets tangled up in all of that. And someone who has an opinion thinks they also are telling the truth. And someone who has an opinion also thinks they're telling the facts. And someone who has opinion also thinks that they're being accurate when they're not. It's just a thought. It's just a notion. So is the problem the people or is the problem the social media? I think really the problem is both. Because I, I agree with I agree with the different pieces that you outlined, but I want to say that there's one more piece that we need to keep in mind, which is context. So we could say that the, that the sky is a different color, 
but we need to approach it in context. So in mm. your context, the sky might be blue. In my context, yeah. the sky might be gray. Yeah. It just depends yeah, would, on. Absolutely, you're right, and that would be accuracy because it means that we're not we're not sharing everything, right? Because that yeah. falls into yeah. accuracy. Because you say the sky is blue in L.A., the sky is gray in Calgary, right? So then that becomes that context. You're right, is accuracy. Sorry, continue your thought. No, so no, no, that's actually exactly what I was what I was leading into because when it comes to social media, the social media platforms say, well, people will provide the accuracy. And people don't want to provide that accuracy. No. And when not with limited characters either. Yeah, part, part of it of is with limited characters, but then if if you have more characters, you can step in. Like as the people who run the platform, you could technically step in and say, okay, well, we need to start providing context. We need to start providing accuracy. We need to make sure that the the space that we run does not get abused. Yeah. And they didn't do that. They have refused no. to do that. So it really, whenever you have, uh, even back in the day when you had message boards, just these small message boards, whenever they started getting overrun with trolls, you had to have moderators step in and clean up the behavior. And if they didn't, the board would be overrun with trolls and everyone would leave. Now, so far for social media companies, there has been no consequence for their unwillingness to tackle these problems. I had asked the question before the break, is it the people or is it the platforms? And we were going to get into why does this uh, problem keep getting worse? So I'll, I'll reset that and let you go with your thought. Okay. So really the culprit is both the platforms and the people. So let's start with the people. It's not just that, you know, there's bad people on social media. There's bad people everywhere. You know, that's just a, a, a fact of life. Some people are, some people are just bad. Some people are bad because there are some circumstances that have led them to be bad, and some people are just irredeemably evil. But uh, the vast majority of people, and maybe I'm optimistic, but the vast majority of people are either good or want to be good. Mm -hmm. And what's happening right now is that if you look at a lot of socioeconomic indicators, if you look at how we're living our lives, our lives are becoming harder. Things are not going well for probably 8 out of 10 people in the Western world. It just, it's just an unfortunate fact of life. And because life is getting more difficult, we're spending more time either working or looking for work. We are more isolated. We spend a lot more time on our gadgets. We are getting caught up in whatever's going on because we are disengaged at work and we are partially, and we're very burnt out in life. And just this pandemic on top of everything and potentially another recession, if not a depression. Um, and there's the rise of terrible politicians who honestly could not care about us and openly show their contempt to us every single day. It's, it's just, it's rough. And people feel like they can't really change their circumstances. And that's a perfect recipe for a lot of angry trolls and conspiracy theorists and people falling for conspiracy theories because conspiracy theories and scapegoats offer a way out. It's not yeah. that, you know, it's not that there's this, there's these large complicated systems that we have to completely rebuild in order to make our lives better over a long period of time. There's one or two villains. And they're powerful enough to cause you all the problems that you're having, but they're dumb enough to be recognized and outed. And you can take them down because choose whatever really fits your fantasy. And right. this is, and this is the part where the social media platforms could step in and say, well, this is just a conspiracy theory. This is crap. Let's try and promote 
Um, let's try and figure out how we can promote people to get together to talk about um, impactful things. Let's try and figure out how to get people to um, debate with each other in a productive way, how to channel their energy productively. But instead, they have basically looked at the metrics and said, look, their eyes are glued to the screen. We're collecting data about them. We're selling them ads. Who cares? If they spend two hours trying to debate about the ins and outs of public transit versus electric cars versus, you know, something else, or whether they're watching neo-fascist propaganda on YouTube, we're, we still have their attention and we still I have, have their money. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah, I have a parallel for you. So if we were to take propaganda as an example, and we were to take it to any other scenario, if someone were to come to my house and spray paint a swastika on my house, vandalize it, it's my responsibility as the homeowner to take it down. And if I, if someone were to go into uh, downtown and uh, sp uh, spray paint a swastika on the side of a business, it's the responsibility of the business to take it down and to take it down right away. Most cities have bylaws about uh, graffiti that has to come down right away. And if someone were to go do it on public property uh, on a train station, say, or a bus station, um, that maybe that they put a swastika on a bus uh, stop. It is the city's responsibility to take it down. So wherever the vandalism happens, it is in every every other scenario, it is the responsibility of the holder of that property to take it down. Every scenario. You can't find one where it's not the case, except for on a social media platform, they take no responsibility to take it down. That's mind-blowing. Yeah, it really is. But at the same time, if they don't take it down, there are no consequences. If you don't, if you have, if you keep a swastika on your house after it's been sprayed on and say, well, it's no big deal. I don't really care. You're going to get either like fined or, I'm sorry? Sorry, I was like, I was making a joke. Uh, if so, maybe you like red. You don't care for the swastika, yeah, well, but maybe you like the color of red they chose. Yeah, possibly, but you're gonna get you're gonna get ostracized. There's gonna be a penalty for that. If a business keeps it up, they're gonna get fined and bad publicity. If a city keeps it up, there's there's consequences. There's there's blowback, um, and there's real impact. But for social media, and especially for um, the worst of social media, there's really no consequences because the only thing they're concerned about is their stock price. And if their stock price keeps keeps on going up, then what's the what's the problem and yeah. th so the only real way to make them comply is for large institutional investors for banks for mutual funds for pension funds the people who really move these very large quantities of the stock is to say well we're not going to essentially invest in the digital equivalent of bathroom graffiti yeah we're going to invest in something else. We're going to invest in renewables. We're going to invest in electric cars. We're going to invest in, you know, asteroid mining. What, what, what have you? But just <laughs> completely, but just completely divest from or divest as much as they possibly can from these social media platforms, so their stock plummets. That is well, the I, I only the way that we're going to be able to get their attention. 
it's true and i um uh my, i mean money is the the ultimate um way to discover what's going on to follow the money and the other way to control and influence what's going on is to control the money with your dollar and where you spend it in this particular case because you are the money you might not be spending on facebook you are the money so don't give them your time i think it boils down to that this text came in greg i thought you'd appreciate it it's keyboard activism done by idiots who can't be bothered to fact check that's one thing um, another quick thought, because we just got to wrap up here, was the um, the thing about the swastika, though, is that nobody would complain if they don't know what a swastika is. And that's where the human part comes in, is people won't even realize that it's a bad thing or graffiti. If they don't know what graffiti is, they're not going to complain about it. So we are, the people online are still getting fooled in some ways because they don't know what it is. Um, and, uh, that's up to us as users. I think we need to be able to educate ourselves and know what we're getting into. When we go buy a car, we don't, you know, we have to learn how to put gas in it and, you know, rotate the tires. So, um, it's our responsibility to Greg fish. It's a great article. I invite everyone to check it out. Uh, thank you for the, uh, the spirited conversation. I love it. World of weird things.com are just one last question, Greg, are you terrified as much as I am about this? Uh, I, I honestly am lost at what I should be terrified more of. <laughs> Yeah, right. Hey, maybe I'll build an app to figure out what I should be more scared of. There you go. That would be all right. As long as you collect all the data so we know what you're up to. I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Greg Fish. Always a pleasure. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Uh, it's been a little while now uh, since he passed away. And um, isn't it interesting um, to kind of feel excited about new music, but you get reminded that you know, that he's gone and you don't have to be a fan of the tragically up. I realize that some of you are not uh, to appreciate it. That's why we're asking the question tonight. What is your favorite tragical hip song of all time? Counting the scores, the end of this hour. Uh, that is the song we will play. 877-399-9898. Just text the name of your favorite tragically hip song. If there's a story, sure. Include the story. We'd love that too. Whatever. Just keep in count. And um, I, there's not very many Canadians that we don't really get inspired when we when we hear his voice. So uh, it is nice to hear new music from the tragically hip. That's for sure. So the notion that there's a double CD set that is coming out um, is absolutely beautiful. Let's get a little clip here, Matt. The sounds you hear there, very familiar. Familiar to so many Canadians. They sort of create this instant awakening inside your body. Uh, the sounds of Gord Downey. Joining me to talk about what is new in this world is Alan Cross. Um, Alan, new music from Gord Downey, Away is Mine, and uh, still the final 10 songs coming out. So, so much to sort of to go through here. Um, isn't it sweet to sort of hear him? It really does just kind of immediately take you back to a place, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. Now, he, when Gord recorded these 10 songs, this was in July of 2017, he had long been diagnosed. 
he had gone through all kinds of surgeries. He was uh, through with the tragically hip touring. He knew that he only had months to live. So he went into the bathhouse studios outside of Kingston with uh, some close friends, a songwriting partner, his son, and decided to sing into a microphone one more time. So they did 10 songs, knowing full well that this is his last will and testament. Uh, and what we're going to get on October the 16th, one day before the third anniversary of his death, is um, 10 songs done two ways. So there's 20 tracks. We have a, uh, the first disc, if you get the CD, will be all uh, acoustic, not all uh, electric, full band, uh, with his kid playing drums on some of them. And uh, the second disc will be the same songs, but with an acoustic mix. So these are the last times Gord Downey ever sang into a microphone. He knew it was going to be the last time he ever sang into a microphone. And now we're finally getting this material. I, I can't even imagine the gift that he gave his son in this. Well, no. Uh, but one of the things that Gord did after his diagnosis was conduct himself with a tremendous amount of dignity. There was not a shred of, of self-pity. It was all about, okay, this is the situation. I have a limited time left. Let me try to make as much of a difference as I possibly can in those months. Mm -hmm. And this is part of that agenda. So good. And Lewis, just for the rest of his life, when he hears those songs, he gets to see it, right? In his mind's eye, he gets to imagine being back there. Um, so probably a, a bittersweet day uh, for Lewis on the drums on these songs too. So... Um, I don't know. Is it what's on your mind with this, Alan? I mean, I find this. I've, I it's with myth. You can hear it in my voice. It's with mixed emotion, right? Like you hear it, and I really mean that. It is that sweet place that most Canadians go back to. But at the same time, it is the reminder that you know this guy was, you know, he was a poet, and he was a, a poet that everybody understood. I think at least they thought they did. Yeah, and, I think so. Reminder um, that he's gone. Yeah. Now. This may be the last things that we hear from him, uh, but they were kind of cryptic with the press release that came out with these two songs that were released today. Is this the last Gord Downey album? I'm not entirely sure. This is the last album he recorded, but it doesn't mean it the last songs or, or that, that there were no more songs in the vault someplace. I know for a fact that there is a lot of tragically hip stuff that has never been released. A lot of live tracks, probably inevitably a bunch of demos maybe some songs that uh, were that never made that they played live but uh, never recorded and then songs that for whatever reason were, were cut from albums so we haven't heard the the end of Gord Downey by by a long shot um, they have new management which is actually their their very old management and the people in charge are going to be very very careful about Maintaining the Tragically Hip's legacy and importance in Canadian culture. So they are going to want to make sure that fans remember who the hip were uh, and somehow get us as much music from those archives as we possibly can get. Now, I had a chance a number of years ago when I was writing the liner notes for the 50th anniversary edition of Fully Completely to play in some of the Tragically Hip's archives. And they stored everything wow. and i mean everything and when i was going through the boxes there were a bunch of dat tapes and cdrs that were labeled 
uh, obviously as some kind of music, you know, sound checks, uh, live performances, uh, maybe jams in the studio, that kind of stuff. So there's a tremendous amount of music that is still there, but has never been released. I can't imagine them not having so much more. I mean, he was so creative. The band was so active. I mean, just the the amount of time that they spent playing their instruments together would have been staggering. I, you, you said something that, that really got me. That would be a really great behind-the-scenes CD, wouldn't it? it would be uh, the sound check tapes. Yeah, and I guarantee you that they exist. Uh, whether or not they're you know usable, uh, that's going to be up to the other four guys in the band and, and their management to, to cull through. I mean, there's got to be days and days and days of this material sitting someplace that's going to have to be examined. Well, it's going to have to be found, cataloged, and then listened to. And then you're going to have to cull through the stuff that you want to release. You're going to have to categorize them as to how you're going to release it. And then you're going to have to maybe go into the studio and clean up some of the stuff just for, for you know, commercial sale. Mm. So I, I, I'm pretty sure that we're going to see more and more hip stuff coming. Um, and that will keep Gord alive in our minds for a lot longer. Uh, Alan Cross, the ongoing history of new music. So what was the, um, what was the magic, Alan? You knew them better than most people, uh, just from proximity and all the work and shows that you did. There was a, there's this season, I think, in Canadians' lives where the tragically hip usually started to infect Canadians, I think, in college or university. And then, unlike most trends, it stayed with everybody into being young. Well, there's, a, there's some really good timing on the Tragically Hips part. I mean, they, they really burst into our uh, sphere in 87 and 88. And this is at the very beginning of when domestic Canadian rock music is really starting to take off. After a couple of decades of Canadian content, the industry and the musicians associated with it had reached a point where they were as good as anything else anywhere in the world. And the hip led the way through that period of the 90s where there was this explosion. I mean, we had Our Lady Peace and I, Mother Earth and the Tea Party and Matt Good and on and on and on. And Canadians at that point, I mean, this is Generation X coming into their musical coming of age years, uh, embracing this domestic music, not because it was domestic, but because it was good. Mm -hmm. And they would go to the shows, they would go to the festivals, and they would buy the records. I mean, if you look, for example, at, at hip records, uh, there's a couple, three, that sold a million copies just in Canada. Um, you know, Alanis Morissette becomes the biggest selling female artist of all time. Uh, and then we have groups like Sloan and Our Lady Peace and I, Mother Earth and Matt Good all having very good domestic music careers. Uh, Our Lady Peace had a good international career as well with a, with a gold album or two in the United States. So, but at the head of that was the hip, you know, they come up with that, the, the up to here album, and then they just build on it, build on it, build on it. And by the time they get to fully completely, which is still a masterpiece of a record, uh, they're considered to be like the deans of this new Canadian rock thing that's happening, this Canadian musical nationalism. And they just kept at it for the rest of the decade. And one of the things that, that I think people really appreciate about the hip was they're unabashedly Canadian. It wasn't hokey. It wasn't cheesy. It wasn't something that, you know, oh, I have to learn this or I'm being force-fed Canadian history and Canadian culture. No. No, the hip 
presented who we are in ways that we appreciated and understood. I mean, all the hockey references, all the name checks for the towns and places and people across the country. And uh, another thing, too, is that because the tragically hit never had that big breakthrough in the United States, uh, Canadians, I think, just wrap their arms around the band all that much tighter. Mm-hmm. So, okay, fine. You don't want them? They're all ours. We'll keep them. Yeah. Uh, it's very good. I think the you said there, you said the deans of Canadian rock, and I don't think that could be any more accurate than than exactly that phrase. Um, that's very good. They had a very, they had a very good run. I mean, they, they went from, well, 85 ish, uh, through to, you know, August of 2016. That's a very long run for any band in any country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the hit just engendered that almost grateful dead level of, of loyalty amongst their fans, several generations and, you know, there is not a day that goes by, you know, in, in the summertime where somebody's not playing Bob Cage and out around a campfire someplace. It's, true. It, it, it's just one of those groups that, that captured Canadian imagination um, to the point where I remember a tweet after Gord died and it was the best tweet ever. It said, Canada closed death in the family. Hmm. And, you know, can, they, they, they were for a very long time. Canada's house band. And when you think about that last show in Kingston in August of 2016, officially the TV ratings were 11.7 million. That's way too low Mm. because it doesn't take into account the number of people that got together in a person's house to have a party and watch the show. Doesn't take into account the people that uh, watch um, on closed circuit uh, on on TV, uh, you know, in, in a, in a town square someplace or to beach someplace. I, I, you know, I'm sure that the number is 15, 16, 17 million so when you tell somebody from another country that the final show of a Canadian band attracted half the population of the country, they don't believe you. But it's just an example of how much of a hold this band had on the country. What is Alan Cross's favorite Tragic Lip song, if you had to pick one? Uh, Blow It High Dough. Yeah. Uh, it's always been Blow It High Dough. Made a movie once in my hometown. Uh yeah, loved it. Love it. Alan Cross, uh, the ongoing history of new music on CuriousCast.ca, everywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks for sharing uh, your insight and your memories. Alan, it's nice to see you. Anytime. Gord Downey, new music. Yeah, keep that there for a second now. I'm sort of sort of taken taken aback by the the comment about um his son playing drums on some songs so just think about that for a second your dad i mean your dad is terminal and he decides the last moment i mean he, he picked off a couple of uh things that mattered for him uh the indigenous conversation was a big one um and then he set out to do the book and those things and then he set out to record some songs. And then now he's included that. Just think about that. I mean, we're talking about a guy as a singer and a bandmate and a Canadian and all that stuff. But we're not talking about him as just a dad. I mean, the burden of having Gord Downey as your dad would be a hard one. He's gone a lot. He's probably kind of weird. And um, But at the very end of it, he includes you to play drums on some songs. So not only... Do you get to experience that? But every time you hear those songs, that mind movie would come up. You get to see it all over again. You know, what a gift. 
What an incredible gift uh, to give your child after you're gone. Let's go to Catherine in Surrey. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Shane. That that story really rocked me here. <laughs> yeah, what happened um, there? What did it get you? Because we were just sort of talking about how how it um, you know how his, his boy gets to go back to that that mind movie of sitting there playing the drums in the studio in the bathhouse studio with his dad, and um, and then he's going to remember that for the rest of his life. Well, I grew up with my father playing guitar below me, so I was upstairs, and he played professionally with my mother, and they sang. They went to the States, and they were, he, sang, he sang also lead. And that's how I fell asleep every night. And there was fellows in his band that got sick and passed away, and Dad stopped playing. He wouldn't go and play anymore. Mm. And I finished a CD in 2012, 2014, I released it. And I, I tried everything to get my dad to play mm. on it. He wouldn't. Really, hey? So I just, I want to just encourage people to to get help, get just talk. My father wouldn't talk about the deaths of the band members. Hmm. And and because of that, it stopped so much blessing that could have flowed from him onto yeah. other people in his family. I mean, the amount of pain that it would take to stop the music, right? Yeah, because music be heals. And it's such a gift to be given that gift of music. Hmm. And for just such a stubborn thing to say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so, for sharing the story. I, I, thank you I really do appreciate for the story. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, no, thank yeah. you very much, uh, Catherine. I, I appreciate it very much. It's amazing to to know that um, that those stories not only um, land, um, you know, uh, with the intended person, which was uh, Gord Downey's son. So very cool stuff. Love it. I love when you share 877-399-9898. You want to check out uh, those songs, Maddie, there are on Spotify now, you said? Uh, yeah, the um, the the two initial uh, singles here um, are are up on the Spotify. And um, there, yeah, there is a page. I'll just find it here. But uh, there's an official page for the for the Gord Downey music as well. Well, uh, yeah. Track that down. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Catherine's story just totally uh, <laughs> rocked me. Um, yeah, did it get you? Yeah, totolly got me. Yeah, yeah she's tell, just. Can, do you want to tell us why? Uh just yeah. There's just just a lot of truth in that story. You know, it's just yeah, just such an encouraging thing. You know, just to yeah. That's, did you get your music from your dad? Um, I mean, he he kind of was like a hobby like guitar player like he knew like maybe a couple of chords and he he liked music but um yeah my my uh my grandma was the musical one really hey yeah huh. but um yeah just yeah just thank you for sharing Catherine. that's we really appreciate it yeah uh we really do thanks for listening to the podcast tune into the show online or on the radio 